Welcome to episode 136 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for September 16th, 2009. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. On this pre-Interbike 2009 episode of the Fredcast, an interview and a visit with Renovo Bikes, an interview with Neil Brown from Road Magazine, product reviews of the Bumper Issue Hydration Pack from Crumpler, and of Motion X GPS for iPhone. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike hammer just a little bit harder, because here comes the Fredcast. This week's episode of the Fredcast is brought to you by Action Wipes, natural full-body wet wipes for when you can't shower great for after a ride, after a workout, or any time you just need to clean up. And remember, your face is not a baby's butt, so don't wipe it like one. For 15% off your next order of Action Wipes, go to www.actionwipes.com and input the coupon code FREDCAST at checkout. Thanks so much for your support of Action Wipes, and thanks to Action Wipes for their support of the Fredcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fredcast, and I gotta tell you, this is going to be sort of a special episode. We're not going to be doing the news this week because, wow, knee deep in interbike preparations. Interbike begins next week on Monday, and we will be there for all week and every day of the show, including the two days of outdoor demo and the three days of indoor expo. That means we're leaving here Saturday night and we won't be home again for another week. So we got a lot of preparations going on and a really cool announcement that we made last week. And that is that the Fredcast is going to be partnering with Interbike along with CycleFilm, Sportgenic, and Power Reviews to create more video content directly from the show floor and the outdoor demo. Now, you may know that in years past, Interbike has partnered with various other media outlets to put together a media center right in the middle of the show floor, a place where media types can go to get a cup of coffee, to meet up with people that they're going to be interviewing, file stories uh, because there's a lot of uh, computers and printers and internet connections and lots of electric power outlets. But there's also attached to that a full television studio. And we've used it for the past three or four years to do a live episode of the Spokesman podcast. We're doing that again this year, and I'll give you some details on that in a moment. But what we're doing this year that's unique is we're expanding Interbike TV with vignettes that we're calling Live from the Show Floor. Essentially, we're going to bring Interbike right to you because we know that there's many of you that listen to the Fredcast and who are fans of cycling and of cycling products who would love to kind of come to Interbike, but unfortunately you can't make it. So we're going to be bringing Interbike directly to you through these Live from the Show Floor videos. We're going to be going to the outdoor demo and visiting with people there and talking to them and bringing those interviews and those products to you. We're going to be going to the show floor at Interbike. We're going to be going to individual booths and we're going to be looking at what's going to be heading to your independent bike dealer in 2010. These showcases are going to be available for viewing 
on the internet within hours of when we produce them on a variety of different websites. And I'll have information on that on thefredcast.com in just a couple of days. But of course, you'll be able to view it right on thefredcast.com. Some of the videos will be coming to you right into your iTunes feed. So look for that. Plus, the videos will be available on the internet on a wide variety of websites well into the 2010 model year. So you're going to be able to watch these videos time and time again. So who's involved in the process? Well, obviously, I'm involved. I'm what they call the talent, and I'm sort of putting air quotes around that. I'm the guy who holds the microphone and gets to interview everyone as we go around to each of the individual booths. As far as the actual video production, the filming, the audio, the editing, that falls to Marcus Neuert from Cycle Film. We've had... uh, We've talked about Marcus on the show before. He's a great video producer in the cycling industry, and I'm really looking forward to working with him because not only do I respect him for his talent, but also he's a friend of mine, so I'm really pleased about that. We're also working with a company called Sportgenic. Now, Sportgenic is a sports marketing company that connects brands and enthusiasts, so they're going to be able to help us get these videos out on a wide variety of websites to make sure that you can see them in as many places as possible. And the final partner, in addition to Interbike, of course, is a company called Power Reviews. Now, Power Reviews provides customer reviews and social merchandising solutions to online retailers and brands. As a matter of fact, you've probably seen their reviews on a wide variety of websites, including Staples, Toys R Us, REI, Smart Etailing, Performance Bike, Pacific Cycle, Trek, and I could go on and on. And the great thing is they are also going to be able to take these videos and plop them onto the various websites that are partners of theirs so that these videos can get as wide a viewing as possible. In case you can't tell, I'm really excited about this opportunity because in years past, what I've done is I've gone out and I've gone to individual booths and I've brought you a handful, a smattering, a sampling, if you will, of Interbike, but only via audio. The ability to bring these to you and bring you video as well is really, really exciting to me. I'm really looking forward to it. We've had a lot of meetings, a lot of phone calls, a lot of work behind the scenes. It's all coming together and it begins on Monday and I can't wait to bring this to you. Now, I talked earlier about the Spokesman. For those of you who are fans of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast, the great thing is, once again, we're doing a live episode of the Spokesman. We're doing this next Wednesday, course, that's the 23rd of September, and we're going to be doing this live from the Interbike TV Media Center right in the middle of the show floor. We're going to have the usuals with us. Tim Jackson from Mozzie Bicycle is going to be there. Carlton Reed is going to be there. We're going to have Byron from Bike Hugger, and we're going to have some special guests as well. Really looking forward to it. Bummed that Donna Tosi can't be there and that Richard Maisner Fritz from Cyclicious can't be there, but we're going to have a great show nonetheless. If you'd like to watch live, you can do that. It's going to be on at 1 o'clock Pacific time on Wednesday, September the 23rd, so watch for that. All right, enough about what's coming up with Interbike. It's time to get into the meat of the show. You know, I've gotten some comments from some of you who have said, could you get back to a little bit more of the Fred aspect of the show? Bring us more about products. Bring us more about personalities. Tell us more about the Freddy, the geeky aspect, if you will, of cycling. I'm bringing a lot of that to you tonight. Starting off with a great 
interview. And, and this one is really NPR style. I'm really pleased that uh, Rex Anderson, one of the producers of the Fredcast, had the opportunity to visit with a very innovative company, Renovo Bikes. If you're not familiar with Renovo, you're really going to enjoy the interview because unlike bike companies that create their bicycles out of steel or titanium or carbon, Renovo Bikes makes their bicycles out of exotic hard woods. And if you have if if that scares you a little bit, go to thefredcast.com and check out the photos that Rex took when he was at Renovo Bikes. These are works of art, every single one of them. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. As I said, Rex worked really hard and did a, a real NPR style interview. So you're going to hear some of the machinery in the shop as they're working on these bikes. I love this interview. I think that you will too. Here's Rex as he visits with Ken, the owner and designer of Renovo Bikes, and also with Mark, his sales and fitting associate. I'm with Ken, uh, the owner and the uh, designer of the Renovo Bikes, and I thought I'd ask him a couple questions about um, his experience in working with wood. Uh, I'd ask you, first of all, were there some surprises as you got into the design process of working with wood, and did you have to do a few things differently? Yes, the biggest surprise was we intended these bikes as primarily recreational. Turns out that we've got a race-quality bike. Uh, We've got the stiffness of the... Uh, the best carbon bikes uh, were close to their weight. Uh, we didn't know we could get there. Wow. That's so, a good surprise. Yeah, I guess it is. Actually, we're standing in front of a bike. I might have you just describe it for the listener. Well, this this uh, is a frame that's all wood, which is to say we've replaced the stays, which were formerly carbon, with wood, uh, matching the woods of the frame. So that gives us design flexibility. Uh, in terms of tire sizes and all, the, the carbon's rear stays are very limiting. It also gives us the ability now to completely adjust the ride, adjust the ride qualities. Uh, these bikes, uh, wood is a superb absorber of vibration, and these are the smoothest bikes you can ride outside of a suspension bike. And we can tailor that from... Uh, pure commuter for rough city streets to a very seriously stiff uh, race bike, which remains a smooth ride. Yeah. And as we stand in the room here, uh, could you explain some of the woods that you are using and which ones that you kind of see most popular in terms of of The most popular wood is the one that our customers have seen the pictures of most recently and say, that's the one I want. (laughs) We went through the Bubinga period. We're kind of going through a Purple Heart phase right now. Uh, uh, We'll be building a lot of this appealing. The Purple Heart is kind of the deep uh, reddish uh, Mm -hmm. color. That's actually purple. And when you get that in the sun, it's uh, it's amazing. I mean, it's brilliant purple. Uh, Just superb. Uh, and your top tubes, are, are your top tubes uh, 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 laminated pieces, or how, how does the top It's tubes laminated work? side to side and top to bottom, so it's a two-way lamination. Okay. There's a stack of about six plies vertically, and depending on the, uh, the colors or the types of wood, here we've got a total of four plies uh, side to side, 
Uh, some of these bikes uh, will have more. Here's six, where we've got a center stripe of Wangi, uh, then yellow heart, and then purple heart on the outside. So it just depends on the combinations of woods. And is this what you called your R2 model? Is yes. Is that what we're looking with at here? Stays. With the carbon With the carbon stays. And, and now you're, trying, you're doing some designs that are kind of eliminating that, that carbon stay in the back? Yep, absolutely. Off of the old-fashioned carbon right into the new technology of wood, you bet. Great. Well, thank you for taking a few minutes. I know you're really busy, and if it's okay with you, I'll take a couple of photographs, and uh, you know, maybe at another time, I'll have David, the host of the show, give you guys a call and visit over the phone with you at a time that we could set up in advance. Uh, But thank you very much for your time. What what beautiful woods! I'm so glad I stopped. Thanks. My pleasure. My pleasure. Go ahead. This is our your new Panda series? Yeah. Yeah, so we've been doing the custom hardwood frames for a while now. We'll be continuing to do those. But we're also introducing a line of production bikes, complete bikes, uh, fully built, ready to ride. Uh, that's our Panda series. Uh, they're made out of bamboo. Hmm. Um, and we'll have four different models of those. Right here we're looking at the commuter model. Uh, it's got disc brakes, front and rear. Got a nine-speed internal hub in the back. Uh, dynamo lighting, headlight and tail light rack, fenders, you know, deluxe commuter. Yeah, so what we're looking at here is a, a com- typically, uh, I mean, a similar commuter frame, but it's, uh, the entire frame is made out of bamboo, and, and it's got kind of a light tan with the mixed in of the grain of the bamboo. Um, a little, little darker overall than maybe a maple look to it. And it is all fitted out. It's got the rack on the back. It's got the disc brakes. So they've really set this up as a daily commuter bike. But uh, really beautiful work. If you could see the the lines and the, uh, gosh, all of the transitions are just really wonderful. Yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, taking a walk through your shop if that's okay. Just Certainly. to kind of see what, yep. see what you yeah, do and how you start the process. Uh, all right. Well, let me, show you, let me show you a couple things before we go back there. Uh, okay. This is what the frames look like inside. We make them in two halves, basically. Uh, so we start with uh, we start with the, the planks, the boards, and join them up into the rough shape of the triangle. And then we've got our CNC controlled router that hollows out the inside wow. and gives a rough shape to the outside. And then we bond the two halves together. And there's a lot of handwork that goes in after that. Wow. Wow. So, so it is all uh, hollow on the inside, mm-hmm. and and uh, to keep the weight down. Yep. And uh, the thickness is generally we got about three sixteenths wall thickness there. Hmm. The CNC allows us to keep that wall thickness completely uniform throughout okay. the frame and ensure that our joints are in exactly the right place every time. Wow. So we've got a real consistent product coming out. Hmm. This is just a kind of a sample board of some of the different woods we've worked with. Um, obviously, not all woods are suitable for bicycle frames, but there are quite a few that work very well. What is this here that I'm looking at? It's kind of a. Uh, that is Paduke. Paduke. Huh. Some of these smell real nice too. Actually, this one's probably been up there a while. It doesn't smell much anymore. Oh, this is beautiful. This is uh, actually these two here would look like a guitar wood you might see on a. Um, on a Gibson J200. Yeah, curly maple right there. Yeah. It's got a real nice chatoyance to it there. You can yeah. see it. It kind of shimmers in the light. Yeah, it almost, uh, the, the maple, when it has this look in it, it almost looks three-dimensional with the light mm-hmm. uh, coming off of it. I'm looking at a board of about, oh, 
I don't know, 20 different selections of woods that they have to choose from. Uh, and it's just kind of across the color palette. So uh, I can imagine that people that order their bikes really are falling in love with the color and feel of the wood. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, and the color the color's one thing. Um, you know, it certainly has an aesthetic value, but the different woods ride differently. They have different performance characteristics. So we can work with a customer and fine-tune the ride based on the wood choice. So if somebody's looking for an extremely stiff uh, ride, uh, you might lean more toward, what, like a hickory or something like that? Hickory's or? very good. The Purple Heart is actually oh, excellent wow. for a stiffness to weight ratio. It's very stiff. It's a little heavier than some of the woods, but very, very stiff. And of course, it's amazing looking. And then how about uh, somebody's looking for that plush ride, you know, uh, looking to the kind of absorb the, the bumps and those kinds of things? Certainly. The, uh, the bamboo is probably the smoothest of all the materials we've worked with so far. Um, and we've actually got a road bike over here that's bamboo oh, yeah. in the middle, and then it's got jatoba or Brazilian cherry on the outside, which is very stiff. So the combination of the smooth center and the stiff outer shell uh, gives it a really nice ride. David, I'll take a picture of this one. It's really beautiful. The it, you say once again, this wood is the that's jatoba. Jatoba wood is kind of a dark um, orangey brown. It almost looks like a burl wood in this. Yeah, bur almost a burl. Yeah. And, and it depends on the grain of the wood. We've had other, other boards of Jatoba that, that don't have the, the same grain structure here. Sure. Uh, so, you know, it's, each bike is distinctive, even if you were to choose the same woods. And this particular bike has a combination of that and the, um, and the bamboo, so it's just uh, really beautiful lines. This particular frame has the rear end that's made out of carbon, which they're now starting to kind of change over to a full rear end. Walking into the shot now, fairly large building with uh, lots of supplies of wood sitting on the side. Yeah, found our wood selection there, uh, where we keep some of the some of our boards. We go to the go to the lumber or the uh, um, lumber supply yards every every week or two, uh, and dig through all the stuff to find the good stuff in there. Wow, looking for grain and and good quality, you know, uh, some of the probably minimizing knots and those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, straightness. And that's one of the advantages of working with the bamboo is they're, it's very uniform. We're using bamboo laminate flooring for a bamboo bike. Are you really? So wow. there are no knots or cracks or imperfections that we have to work around. It's very uniform. And that probably helps with the cost a little bit on, on producing the bamboo bikes? It does. And that's why we chose bamboo for the, the Panda series, so that we can keep the cost down. Wow. Okay. trimming down some of the laminates for accents on the different frames. That's the CNC machine right there, doing its magic. Okay. So we're watching a machine uh, uh, cut out pieces of the, uh, well, it looks like, a, is that a bamboo that it's working on there? Or hard to tell from that's, here. Uh, that's actually Port Orford cedar. Cedar, okay. Yep. Wow, so everything's being driven by the computer, setting up the design of, of what is being cut? Great. Wow. Our belt sander here. Okay. Uh, we can feed the board through and get them the exact thickness we need. Wow. We're walking into a small room off the main area. That's pretty noisy. 
crazy out there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you caught any of that or not. Uh, this is Sean. Hi, Sean. And uh, doing a little bit of finishing work here. Uh, we do we do all our finishing in house. Oh, okay. Uh, the hardwood frames get two coats of epoxy on the outside, and then three coats of linear polyurethane on top of that. So it's a really tough finish. Wow. So he's working on that right now, just uh, doing the final sanding and buffing till we buff it out to a mirror glaze. Also, this one's got the decals running down the back. Uh, is that the standard sort of setup on it? Or? This is this is the last one we're doing with the carbon rear end. Oh, I see. Um, so you can see the others, the, the stays join in a little differently on the sure. rear. Yeah, so we're seeing some blank frames hanging here that uh, are being ready to be finished, I assume. Um, yeah, the next step will be uh, we'll be bonding the rear end into these two frames like that uh, then they go into the finished booth okay wow boy that really is purple isn't it yeah my gosh the purple arts it's a little difficult to work with because it's so hard uh, huh. it tends to wear out our sanding belts a little faster than the other woods um, and then when you when you sand it it, it kind of turns brown it oh, takes okay. it takes a few days for the purple to come back up to the surface and over there you can see some of the planks that we bonded up uh, the different laminates you know, and then they'll be next to be finger jointed and, and bonded into the basic shape of the, uh, the frame. So, Mark, uh, uh, from a customer's perspective, what mm -hmm. would they expect if they wanted to order one of these bikes? What's kind of the process that they would uh, go through to make their selections? Well, um, we really like if they can ride one of the bikes. Uh, you know, we've had we've had plenty of people that, that are ready to put down a deposit without even riding one. But we, we like to have people ride the bikes just to see what they're in for. I mean, the bikes are amazing looking, but they ride even better than they look. Huh. So we like to get people on the bike just to kind of see what they're in for. And by doing that, you kind of can put them on different woods and feel a, a little bit of what the difference is from the wood choices? Exactly. And that way we can work with them to sort of fine-tune the ride to, to what they'd really like. Oh, great. Is the... Um once they've made a selection and say they're going to have a road bike, uh, oops, there's a truck going by and down in the industrial area here. Uh, once they've made a selection and say they're going to build a road bike, uh, mm -hmm. what's the uh, kind of the de deposit process uh, and, and time frame for having a, a bike built? Oh, uh, we we take a we take a deposit on the frame, uh, and we can we can sell either a frame or a complete bike. Uh, okay. we, we have some people that you know they have. They already have some components they like to use, and maybe they have a mechanic they work with, or they prefer to do the work themselves. And we're glad to sell a frame. Okay. Um, but if a customer wants a complete bike, we'll work with them to determine the, the proper size of the frame, certainly, um, and then work with them to come up with a component package. So, are your sizes of frames are you are you set with a kind of a standard that you're working from, or are, is or is some of that customizable? For example, the head tube length and and that type of thing, or, or do you have some kind of standard sizes that you're working within? Well, right now we're doing standard sizes just because there's so much work that goes into the programming uh, before we can actually produce the frame. Mm -hmm. So we got a sort of a standard run of sizes right now. Um, that seems to work pretty well for most people. What size of frames do you run right now in terms of your nominal main? Uh, uh, right now we're doing like 48 to a 61. Okay. Um, and we've been able to fit almost everyone with those sizes. Wow. Um, lead time on a frame right now is about three to six months. Okay. Um, 
we try to keep it a little closer to three, but we're pretty busy here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I won't take any more of your time, Mark. Thank you very much, uh, and I'm sure the listeners will want to tune in. What, um, first of all, where can they learn more about uh, the Renovo bikes? Oh, you should check out our website. we got all kinds of information on there. Uh, that's renovobikes.com. Okay, well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that, uh, and I want to thank Rex for bringing that to us. It's fascinating to me that uh, in 2009, almost 2010, we've got really master craftsmen putting together bicycles, race-quality bicycles, out of only wood. So really, really impressive stuff. Go ahead and check out their website and check out the photos that Rex took. Those are at thefredcast.com. Just scroll down. They're on the right-hand side in the blog, or you could just go ahead and click the photos link up at the top. Thanks so much to Renovo Bikes for allowing us the opportunity to get just a little bit of an insight into what they're doing. I'm really looking for some great things from them in the future. Well, shifting gears here, our next interview is with Neil Brown, the editor of Road Magazine. Road Magazine's only been around for a few years as compared to, say, Bicycling and VeloNews and some of the other publications in the industry, but it's really had quite an impact. And part of that is owed to the personality of the editor, Neil Brown. I had the opportunity to catch up with him at the Tour of Utah. And like every good reporter, I had my recorder and my microphone, and I was all ready to record and interview Neil. And of course, my recorder ran out of battery. So this interview was done on my iPhone. So if you get a little bit of wind noise or it's not up to my usual quality, you'll understand why. But nevertheless, I still think it's worth bringing to you. So here's my interview with Neil Brown from the recent Tour of Utah. I'm with Neil from Road Magazine. Neil, give me a little bit of your background. How'd you get into journalism? Uh, I fell into the art of journalism um, through some random writing I'd been doing, and it passed along to the right people at Hay Street Publications. Lo and behold, I'm working at Road Magazine. That was uh, five and a half years ago now. So now you must have been a cyclist before you were a journalist then. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, been a cyclist from a little over 40. I don't want to say how much low. I'm a little over 40. We'll leave it at that. And so I've been racing since I was like 15. And how I got into cycling is my dad was actually a professional in Europe. My, my parents, my dad's Irish, my mom's British. And, and uh, my dad would race through Ireland and, and England and uh, in Europe a little bit. And so that's all I was brought up with, a uh, cycling story. So it was kind of a natural fit. And I know how to play cricket too, which turned out to be pretty useless in this country. How does, how does cricket connect to cycling? Well, after cycling, you've got to do something other than riding a bike around. So my other part of my family, they knew cricket. And I, was, I lived for a little bit in Birmingham, England. And we would go to cricket matches as a kid. And so, uh, yeah, not a whole lot of excitement there. But the family liked it. What are you going to do? So expand a little bit more on falling into journalism. So tell me about some of the first stuff that you wrote and, and how you ended up writing for a cycling magazine. Uh, first stuff I wrote was exercise stuff because that's actually I do some coaching and I was working on my master's in sports physiology and psychology and so a lot of it was some thesis, a little bit of thesis stuff and then just training programs and I just written some freelance stuff and a buddy of mine who knew another buddy at the magazine, they were looking for a guy who knew some road magazine stuff and as you might know the bike industry is very incestuous, we pass each other around and uh, I got my resume ran, landed on my boss's desk, and like I said, before you knew it, 
I really wish I had like a more exciting story, but I just, <laughs> I literally fell into it. I came back from the interview and I was like, I think they want me to run the magazine. <laughs> so that's how it happened. <laughs> Professional journalism is at its best. So, so tell me, what have been some of your, your favorite stories to cover? Uh, kind of a fun one was day like two or three on the job. They flew me to Perry Roubaix, which was pretty epic. Um, interviewing Lance Armstrong was pretty cool. Um, it'd sit down with him and not just some press conference thing at, at his uh, training camp. Um, hanging out and getting to know these ri- riders, you know, riding with Floyd Landis. I've ridden with all the Americans who've won the Tour de France. I've ridden with Floyd. I've ridden with Greg LeMond. I've ridden with Lance Armstrong. So it, it, it's some cool stuff out there. I know a lot of, and I like, I like the people, and, and it's been a good f- match for me, good fit. When you ride with some of these famous pros, um, a little intimidating? In the very beginning, the first year, it was kind of intimidating. Now I just know these guys as just regular schmoes, and <laughs> and and you can see them as the human beings that they are, with their fallacies and, and strong points. So now that that that's over now. But but everybody would ask. I mean, if you go out for a ride with Florida, you go out with Lance or you know Dave Zabriskie, don't they just try to drop you at every turn? No, they know who they're riding with, okay. and, and uh, I tell them too. Like I rode with Levi; that was kind of fun to do as well. Prior to the training camp this year, and uh, his wife's like, "It's an easy day for him." I'm like, "Okay, now really seriously, is it a Neil Brown easy day?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. These pros are. I mean, they're they're serious about it. That's the thing between amateurs and pros. When a pro says they're riding easy, they really are riding easy. I know I raced like I said back home, an easy day. Next thing you know, you're doing 24 miles an hour bombing down the coast. Right. So." You know, these guys, small gear, and they they know. Okay. You don't mess with the journalists. <laughs> One bad word for me, and they're ruined. That's right. Their life is over. Speaking of which, you've really embraced sort of the, the Internet um, and social media. You're all over Twitter. You guys are posting videos every day here at the, the race. Tell me what impact that's having on the state of journalism, not just in cycling, but just in, in your opinion, just in general. You know, Twitter and, and social media is just amazing. We were watching ESPN last night, and they have a, a segment where it's devoted like, Twitter stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, Twitter is a mixed bag of, of it's, you can use it as, a, as part of a source, but you, you, it's still a very gray area. I, I read up on it every well, most days because it is part of now journalism of what you can use and what you can't use. And there's some good stuff out there. Lance will break stuff. Lance Armstrong will break stuff before he lets it out to the press. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then other guys use it for nonsense. I admittedly use it halfway for just my random thoughts. And then sometimes I do throw in a nugget of goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, it, but it is affecting journalism. Everything's instantaneous. Uh, I think it was also ESPN was like their, their, their broadcasters got in trouble for Twittering because they were letting stuff out before it got onto their webpage. So I think everyone's trying to wrap their heads around what we can do with it instantaneous and, and it's a quicker news source. I, so the first thing I do in the morning is I check my Twitter account, all the pros, before I look at any other online site to see what's going on because they will cross the finish line, grab their BlackBerry, mm-hmm. and tell you what happened. And unfiltered, too. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, very much. Well, I mean, look at the whole Lance and, and Contador thing that was going on. Tour of Utah. Um, we're here at the last day. It's the crit. Thankfully, the sun's out. It's not raining, so hopefully it won't be a crash fest like I was worried about this morning. What are your impressions of this year's tour of Utah? You know, not to toot our own horn, but Road Magazine was out here first uh, several years ago. It was just us and one person from cyclingnews.com. And we saw this race. We went, man, this race is tough. Mm. It's not getting the respect it deserves. So we just blew it up in our magazine. You know, we put as many pages as we could into it. 
And it, it's a great event. And I, I can only see it getting bigger and better throughout the years. And I'm glad to see the Miller family are, are, have got some goals for 2011, you know, UCI possibly. It, it, it is. It's a great tune-up for Greenville next year. I mean, next year, next week. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're getting some great training, rest a little bit, get over to Greenville, get acclimated, and it's game on. So I, I don't think I don't see why not any pro that's serious about trying to do well in Greenville isn't out here. And that's why, actually, that's why Dave Zabriskie's out here, mm-hmm. getting ready for Greenville. So let's let's talk about Dave for a second. So D- Dave's had a number of different, I don't know, are they are they uh, wardrobe malfunctions? What was with Dave this week? <laughs> Dave is being Dave, which I love. Um, he's just you know working his DZ's nuts like nobody's business. So hey, you know. But I think today, I think I read somewhere, it might have been even you twittered it today that he was gonna like just wear a red and black kit or something. Yeah, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Um, last but not least, wh- what can we look forward to in the coming months from Road Magazine? Uh, this issue coming out is, or we're working on right now, I should say, will be out at Interbike, and it's going to have a big, big feature on this event. Mm-hmm. Um, Greenville, uh, my interviews with George Hincappy, and so much stuff I honestly forget it all, <laughs> and it scares me because <laughs> we got a lot of stuff we got to do. <laughs> Well, Neil, thanks for taking the time. It's good to talk to you. Enjoy the race today. Yeah, thanks. Nice to meet you. I honestly didn't think you existed. Uh, no, I don't. No, oh. I'm a bot. That's what I kind of yeah, figured. Yeah, I know, I'm totally a bot. You're like a Cylon. Yeah, I am. I don't <laughs> sleep, so, you know. Thanks for a lot, Neil. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> well, you can tell that Neil and I had a good time doing that interview. Uh, a couple of comments about that. So we talked about Greenville, and I know I wasn't going to do the news, but in case you haven't heard, George Hincappy is uh, back in the Stars and Stripes as the U.S. National Road Champion. And the aforementioned DZ, Dave Zabriskie, is again now the four-time national time trial champion. So congratulations to both of them. They both will do us proud. By the way, speaking of Dave, we were talking about wardrobe malfunctions. Uh, Dave showed up in his Garmin kit for the racing. Uh, But for instance, on the first day uh, when he was on the podium after the prologue at the Tour of Utah, he had switched out of his Garmin kit and into his D's Nuts kit, uh, advertising his... uh, his, uh, well, his D's Nuts product, and uh, he got a fine for that, and he kept doing it on subsequent days, and so he was getting fined for it. Uh, Dave really was there to, uh, he was riding by himself, not as part of a team, and he was doing it for a couple of reasons. One, as Neil said, because he wanted to get tuned up for Greenville, which is the uh, U.S. National Championships, uh, the following week, and also Quite frankly, because the Tour of Utah is in Dave's backyard, Dave lives in Salt Lake City, and so it was his opportunity to race in his own backyard. He did extremely well. He rode every single stage until the final um, criterium around downtown Salt Lake City, which was where I interviewed Neil, uh, when uh, Dave was leading for many laps uh, and then finally ended up pulling out of the race, realizing, you know what? I got a national championship coming up. Why am I going so hard uh, when I have no chance of winning the general classification here? So uh, Dave put on a great show for the folks in Salt Lake City, a lot of whom uh, were cheering for him all week long. The Tour of Utah was a great event this year. So thanks to Neil Brown for that interview. Hope you enjoyed that. Next up, I want to tell you about a product that showed up in my mailbox just a couple of days ago, and when it did, I was really excited. You may recall that I had the opportunity to interview the folks from Crumpler when I was at the Outdoor Retailer Summer Market just a couple of weeks ago here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And after the interview, they said, you know what, we'll send you a couple of bags, give them a try, let your listeners know what you think of them. And the first one that showed up the other day 
and by the way, Crumpler has some strange names to some of their products. This one was called the Bumper Issue, and I wasn't quite sure what that was until I opened it up. This is my new favorite hydration pack. I've had a number of different hydration packs from a number of different companies, including the other brand C, if you will, in the hydration pack industry. Uh, but this one is by far the favorite and the one that I've liked the most of all of them. And I had a chance to give it a great try on Sunday. I went out for a solo mountain bike ride, about a 20-mile single track ride from Deer Valley, the ski resort, all the way across the Mid-Mountain Trail at about 8,000 feet here in Park City, Utah, through Park City Mountain Resort, and then into the Canyons Resort, and then ending up down into the Utah Olympic Park, uh, where they had the ski jumping and bobsled and luge competitions when the Olympics were here in Salt Lake City in 2002. So it was a nice, long, single-track ride. And typically that trail can get a little bit dusty and a little bit uh, dirty, and instead... All of a sudden, in the middle of my ride, the skies opened up and the rain came. And so I had an opportunity to test the pack, not only for its hydration qualities and its comfort, but also for its water resistance. Because, of course, I had my iPhone with me, and the first thing I did was take it out of my jersey pocket and put it into the pocket of the Bumper Issue Hydration Pack. And uh, I have to tell you that it survived very, very well, completely dry in one of the zippered pockets on the side. So let me tell you a little bit about the Bumper Issue. Now, first of all, like all of Crumpler's products, the bumper issue doesn't just come in black or blue or gray. As a matter of fact, mine um, is probably the most reserved of the colors. It's sort of a black, gray, and orange. The orange is really just an accent. But you can get it in sort of a camo color. Uh, they've also got them in green and blue and red and orange, a wide variety of colors. Each one comes with a 70-ounce hydration bladder and the tube of that bladder feeds directly from the inside of the pack through either of the shoulders for easy routing and easy access for you while you are riding, and it puts it in a really great location. The pack includes, of course, a chest strap and also has a waist strap, which personally I don't use when I'm riding, but is very helpful when I'm out on a hike with the dog, so that's really good, and it does detach and reattach very, very easily. So for the ride, I took it off when I went hiking with the dogs the next day. No problem. Just put the waist strap back on. One of the things that I love, very freddy, very geeky, when I have a new backpack is I love a lot of different compartments and a lot of different zippered compartments. This one has that. A very large compartment for that 70-ounce hydration bladder, two more internal compartments inside, all of that strapped closed, with a large flap and a single quick-release clip closure. Plus, there are two side clips on either side so that if you want, you could uh, stuff a jacket in there and then cinch those side clips down and hold the jacket on the outside. And dual-zippered front pockets, and that's where I put my iPhone in. It stayed nice and dry. The straps are nice and padded. There's great padding on the back, including a slot there just for your spine to fit in there. It felt very, very comfortable throughout the entire ride. It was a long ride uh, on this single track with lots of ups and downs and bumps, and the thing was extremely comfortable and stayed secure the entire time. For those of you into the technical specifications, it does hold a 70-ounce bladder. It has 440 cubic inches of internal pack capacity, and it's made of water-resistant 
600D material with ripstop lining. Includes two reflective eyes on the front clip and four reflective side clips. And there is an emergency whistle housed in the adjustable chest strap. So there's a lot of great features to this pack. Suggested retail price on the crumplerbags.com website is $125, but it's available on amazon.com for $95, and I'll have links on the fredcast.com to where you can find that on Amazon. Once again, this is the Bumper Issue Hydration Pack from Crumpler. Look for me out on the trail. That's what will be on my back. You know, speaking of Amazon.com and the link that I'll have on the fredcast.com for that hydration pack I just reviewed, I wanted to go over something with you before we get into the final product review of the evening, and that is there's a lot of different ways that you can support the Fredcast. You know, the travel to Interbike, the tour of California, um, taking off work to go to some of these things, uh, and the work that just goes into the Fredcast and paying for hosting and all of those other things that go into it, let's be honest, costs money. And there's a lot of different ways that you can support the show. The most direct, of course, go to the website, make a donation, or subscribe. A couple bucks a month uh, from you and enough of you really does go a long way to helping to support the show. A one-time donation, very much appreciated. Supporting our sponsors, whether it's tonight's sponsor, Action Wipes, by going to actionwipes.com, buying some Action Wipes, and using the promo code FREDCAST. You get 15% off. I get a little bit of uh, uh, advertising money from Action Wipes. That helps us. We've had Audible as a sponsor or Cyclo Club. Uh, CBO was a sponsor, Cambria Bicycle Outfitter. We've also got sponsors on the website, whether that's, again, Amazon or Jensen USA, uh, any of the folks on the website, simply by clicking on those links, whether you buy what I'm advertising there or not, by clicking on the link, you're going to get the same price that you would normally get, but the Fredcast gets a little back in advertising dollars. So if you can, when you're looking to buy something, whether it's parts for your bike or whether it's anything that Amazon.com sells or iTunes, by clicking on those links on the Fredcast, by supporting those who support the Fredcast, you'll help support the Fredcast. I hope that goes without saying. I hope that all makes sense. We need your support. We need your help. Please let the advertisers know you heard about them on the Fredcast. You saw them on the Fredcast.com website. Every little bit helps, especially as we get ready for Interbike. Your donations are even more important. Our coverage this year is going to be quite expensive. And while we do have that partnership with Interbike and Cyclefilm and Sportgenic and Power Reviews. Despite that, there are still a lot of hard costs that go in that are not covered by any partnership that we've got going. And every little bit from you, the listeners, does help. So pitch in if you can. If you can't, just uh, patronize our advertisers. Click the links on the website. Uh, You're going to be getting the products you'd normally get, but you'll be helping us as well. Thank you so much for your support, and thank you for supporting those who support the Fredcast. All right, on to our final review of the evening, and this is a product that I've wanted to talk to you about for a long, long time. This is an application for your iPhone, and it's called Motion X GPS. Now, don't tune away yet, because maybe you're not into paying for apps. There's the paid version of MotionX GPS and the light version 
of Motion X GPS, and I will tell you about both. Now, when the iPhone OS 3.0 came out, there was a lot of buzz about the fact that, oh, finally, Apple's going to allow turn-by-turn directions on the iPhone, allowing you to use your iPhone the way you have your TomTom, and of course now there's a TomTom app for the iPhone, or the way you use your Garmin on your dashboard to get from one place to another. And it will tell you, turn right on Highway 5 or turn left at Elm Street. Motion X GPS is not turn-by-turn navigation. I do know, however, from a recent article in the Wall Street Journal that Motion X will soon have a turn-by-turn navigation app called Drive, Motion X GPS is not that. Instead, Motion X GPS is for you and for me when we're out on our bikes, when we're hiking, when we're skiing, when we're doing anything outdoors and we want to be able to record our activity, keep the track, share the track with others, use it again when we want to go back out or just simply record metrics. Here's an example. Earlier in the year when the snow was still here in Park City, I was out with my wife. We were bombing down a run and I was curious how fast I was skiing down this run. Went back up on the chairlift, started Motion X GPS at the top of the run. And by the time I got to the bottom, I knew how what my average speed had been, what my max speed had been, and I had a track that showed me going down an actual map. And I could look at that in a topographical map. I could look at it in a street map, a variety of different maps. And then I could save that, send it to friends, tweet it, get it out there and share it in a social networking kind of way so that people could share in my activity. But more to the point of cycling, let me tell you how I've used Motion X GPS in a cycling environment. And by telling you this story, it'll give you an idea of the capabilities of the application. I guess I've been doing a lot of mountain biking lately because this example comes from yet another mountain bike ride. One of the great trails around here is the Glen Wild Loop. Love riding this trail. Not too difficult, gets very scenic, and it's really close to home. But I wanted to be able to record the Glen Wild Loop because I have a friend who comes and visits Park City once a year, and he's always looking for new trails to ride. So got out of my car at the trailhead, unloaded my bike, and the first thing I did was I turned on my iPhone, loaded up the Motion X GPS app, and let it acquire the satellite signal. Took a minute or so. By the time it acquired, I was ready to go, hopped on my bike, and pressed the start button on the stopwatch screen. At that point, turned the iPhone off, slipped it in my jersey pocket, and didn't give it another thought until I returned back to the trailhead a while later. At that point, turned the iPhone back on, pressed stop, on the stopwatch screen, and then didn't think anything else about the application until I got home. At that point, I opened it up. The track had been saved. I was able to view it overlaid onto a map, and I was able to choose from a variety of different maps. Available maps include the MotionX open road maps. Those are the uh, open source version of roadmaps where if there's an error, users can actually go onto the website and change the maps. They're, they're really accurate and very easy to use. There's also the MotionX open terrain map. Uh, there they're using the opencycle.org website for some great uh, topographical maps, really good for uh, mountain biking. There's also maps from Bing and from Google 
both of which include road, satellite, and hybrid. So there's a lot of different maps that you can view, and you can look at your data overlaid onto those maps. So that's one thing you can do. You come home, and you can see your track overlaid onto a map, but there's so much more. Again, I have this friend. He lives in Texas. I want to send him my track so that when he comes here next, he'll be able to upload it into whatever GPS device he has. I can send this to him as an email, and in the email, there's a link to a Google map which has the track overlaid right in your web browser. There's also the KMZ file, which you can open up in Google Earth, or a GPX file, which you can import into almost any handheld GPS, including, if I'm not mistaken, your Garmin Edge 705 and 305 devices. So that means that there's a variety of different ways that you can share these maps with people. Plus, if you like, you can share these on Facebook and on Twitter. So Facebook, Twitter, and email, all of them shareable directly from the MotionX GPS app on your iPhone. Of course, in addition to storing your track, it also stores all sorts of fitness kind of information that lots of us want to know. How far did you go? What was your average speed? What was your maximum speed? It also records elapsed time, current speed, and you can also take photos and geotag them so that you can use them later and they'll you 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 will know exactly where that photo was taken plus if you don't want to close the application because unfortunately Apple still isn't allowing background processes but you want to listen to music you can do that by controlling your iPod functions of your iPhone directly through the Motion X GPS application the app will allow you to store up to, well, over 300 personal waypoints and over 100 individual tracks right in the application. In addition, while MotionX GPS has a virtual compass that simulates compass functions, if you have the new iPhone GPS, it integrates directly with the built-in compass in the 3GS and gives you extremely accurate bearing information. So I've even heard that it's possible to use MotionX GPS for geocaching so that there's no need for a dedicated geocaching application. And that's an important point because so far I've talked to you about turning on MotionX GPS, letting it acquire, and then just putting it in my pocket and ignoring it for the rest of the ride. But if you're hiking or you're mountain biking and you want to stop and you want to look at the application, it is constantly updating your position on a live version of whichever map you've chosen. And you can literally walk and watch your position move on that map. So it's live updating just like that Garmin handheld unit that so many of you have carried in your pocket on hikes and on mountain bike rides before. But look, this you don't need that handheld unit anymore because you've got your iPhone with you on your ride or on your hike or when you're skiing or boating or whatever outdoor activity you're doing. And as a result, for just right now an amazing price, $2.99, you can get MotionX GPS on your iPhone and have all those features and more for just the cost of, I mean, less than a latte. Not a bad deal for an application that I really like. For those of you who may be a little bit commitment phobic, there is a light version of MotionX GPS also available in the iTunes App Store. I'll have links to both in the show notes so that you can check it out. But look, for this limited time offer of $2.99, and I don't know how long that's going to last, I mean, 
You can't beat it. Go ahead and check it out. By the way, also, I wanted to mention one other thing. I did have, months ago, a minor issue and a question about Motion X GPS, and I sent an email to the folks at Motion X GPS, and I got to tell you, their response was so fast and so accurate, I was really, really impressed. So I want to thank Eric Smith at Quality Assurance at Full Power Technologies for his assistance and I got to give them kudos for an excellent customer service experience. Oh, and by the way, according to Eric, he's a Fredcast fan. So shout out to Eric, not only for his great customer service, but also thanks so much for listening to the Fredcast. This is MotionX GPS. I think it's a great app, something you should check out. Links are in the show notes at www.thefredcast.com. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Fredcast. I told you really Freddy episode of the Fredcast. No news, but getting back to the roots of the Fredcast, bringing you product reviews for things that I've tried and I like. No endorsements from these company, nothing that is giving me any back-end deals, just giving you products that I've tried and I like. And you know what? That's what the Fredcast is all about. And when I try stuff I don't like, I'll let you know that too. As a matter of fact, I've got a review coming up, which is a little bit wishy-washy. So be prepared for that in a couple of weeks after Interbike. In the meantime, watch for our upcoming Interbike coverage. Watch the Spokesman live on Wednesday at 1 o'clock Pacific and look for those videos showing up on thefredcast.com. A couple of them also showing up in the Fredcast iTunes feed. In the meantime, if you've got any questions or comments, go ahead and send me an email. My email address is thefredcast at gmail.com, or you can call the Fredcast listener hotline at area code 435-258-6373. As I've mentioned a couple of times, our website is thefredcast.com. That's www.thefredcast.com. And to follow along on Twitter, and I will be tweeting live from Interbike, our Twitter name is simply Fredcast. Finally, it's time for Podsafe Cycling Music. Music from artists who support podcasting by allowing us to play their songs on our shows. And every week I try to pick a track that I think would really work well if I was out for a ride or I was training indoors and I needed some musical accompaniment. Tonight's song is by an artist called Dreamline from their album Voyager 7. This song is called Universal Domain. I've got links in the show notes to where you can find Dreamline on iTunes and also on the site where we get so much of our Podsafe cycling music. It used to be called music.podshow.com. It's now simply called musicalley.com. Links are in the show notes. Once again, watch your feed, watch our website, and watch The Spokesman Live on Wednesday at 1 o'clock. September 23rd, Pacific Time. Between then and now, I hope you enjoy the music, but most of all, enjoy the ride.